adult. Yo, I took a nap and it felt amazing. Yeah, it was I 15, did. It was the best 15 minutes of my life. <laughs> 15 minutes. That's all we got. That's Getting all I in got. quick snooze. Oh, so good, though. This is what being an adult is. Napping? Yes. I kind of like that, but yeah. also I don't have enough naps in my life. No. So maybe that means I'm not an adult? No, I think that means you're too much of an adult. I'm too. I'm adulting too much, so you're I don't have time for naps. Too hard. Too oh. furious. It's because of my lawn. I have too <laughs> much lawn to mow. But you're never mowing it. I can't. It's, it's raining just, it's all the, da- the time. <laughs> it's the daunting task. Your lawn's like, hey, hey. It mocks me every time I leave I'm the house. I'm growing more. It's like, oh, oh, you're leaving, but you could mow me. You want to mow me? And I'm me? like, I can't. I have things. Oh, you have things to do. Oh, I see how it is. You don't want to spend time with me. That's fine. I'm sure on Saturday it was super like, where are you going all day? You oh. know what you could be doing? <laughs> me. Oh, you know what time just- it is? It's a perfect time for weed whacking. <laughs> your, your lawn just lays there seductively like, hey. Hey. Slips into your DMs sometimes, like you up. It's could- the middle of the night. <laughs> you <laughs> your lawn's like, I really could use a good mow right now. <laughs> hey, you can mow your lawn right now. I know you're in bed, but like, like I, I'm sleeping. You wanna, you nah. wanna come on over? But come you, on outside. But you up now. You but up you, now. You come up now. On. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm just out. Totally sliding into your DMs. <laughs> You're going to find me outside at two o'clock in the morning with the fucking neighbor's giant ass spotlight that they never fucking turn off. There you go. At least you have that going for you. And I'm just out there weed whacking. There you go. (laughs) Fuck fuck my lawn. Fuck that lawn. Set it on fire. Oh, that could work. That could work. Welcome to Rock Candy. (laughs) Where we set lawns on fire. Apparently we set lawns on fire. I don't know. Yes. Set it on fire. Take a nap. Then go take a nap because we're adults. Yeah. Got it. All right. That's it. We Step figured it out. Step four, profits. Step four, profit. Yes. <laughs> we are also your weekly podcast that brings you sweet treats of music, stories and tales and, you know, stories and, and tales. General, I mean, I don't know. General, general, general no. lawn care General talk. lawn care. <laughs> Salute. Salute. General Salute. lawn care. General lawn care. Um, <laughs> lawn care tips. Set it on fire. That's pretty much our tip for everything. Oh, my God. Yeah. Trouble with your husband? Set it's him on, on fire. fire. Oh. Wardrobe. She burn the house down. <laughs> Lisa left I Lopez that shit real good. Yeah. Because Lisa doesn't burn the house down. See? Again, bringing it back to music. Always. We're your hosts. I'm Maggie. <laughs> I'm Ashley. <laughs> And we are continuing our series on Mental Health Awareness Month. Yes. And this week... I'm going to be real fucking honest. It's been a difficult month. I had a hard time with these notes because I don't know how to eloquently say the things that I want to say. And I'm sorry I interrupted you. You were talking about whom? (laughs) This week we are talking about Karen Carpenter. Yes. Of The Carpenters. Yes. And I know a lot of you out there... Might not know who she is. Wait, what? Who doesn't know who Karen Carpenter is? A lot of people. What? Yes. You know the Carpenters. You at least, you should at least know who she is. You know the Carpenters. Even if you don't know. So many standards and classics. Even if you think you don't know any Carpenter songs, you do. You know. 100% you do. In looking for a beer for them, I also was like thinking like of their, their, once again, good names that you could make with their song titles. Yeah. Like, Close to Brews. Oh. 
God, we need to we need to open our bar. Come as you bar. Come as you bar. And have all of these puns for all of the beers that we have. Yeah. Close to brew. Well, then I tried to write a song for it, and I I felt uncomfortable about it because I was like. Why does yeast suddenly appear every time you brew beer? Just like me, it longs to be close to brew. <laughs> and I'm like, Ugh. the word yeast, you see, like, a lot of people don't like the word moist. The word yeast is probably what makes me, like, get, it doesn't gross me out. It just, it gives me pause. Just... <sighs> Yeasty is kind of a gross yeah. thing. Maybe More just, so than maybe moist. just say hops. 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 None of this matters. I don't know how to make beer. We can talk about this later. Yes, we can totally talk about this <laughs> later. But it does lead us into the beer that I did pick for this yes. week. From Lagunitas Brewing, committed to keeping the pub in public radio. Fuck off, Lagunitas. I love you. <laughs> this, they, they are a big supporter of This American Life they don't support Rock Candy but they do support This American Life they which should. is a great podcast they should if they know what's good for them I mean honestly but uh, it is called Born Yesterday it is a pale ale fresh hop unfiltered and I thought it would be super hoppy and no, not it's great delicious. it's actually super good it's not really all that hoppy and it's, it's got of, like a sweetness to it it's one of them shits that fakes you out like it smells like it's gonna be overwhelmingly hoppy yeah. and it's not no it's it's quite it's quite palatable so you all know how we feel about very hoppy beers well just just put in some fucking citrus that is all you have to do to make it good <laughs> you don't have to do anything else and also like i don't want to drink a christmas tree yeah, no, I don't want to have a pine tree smoothie. That's fine. I don't need that. Well, now I'm curious what a pine tree smoothie... Well, would a pine tree smoothie just taste like a super hoppy IPA? Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Like, I, <laughs> like, my tongue has sweaters just uh, thinking about it. Yeah. Oh, no. No, it's no. Good, no. Just, it's abrasive in all sense of the word. It, it is. It is, though. Um, I guess I guess with that we can we can roll into the story of Karen. We Carpenter. can get into this shit because this some shit, <sighs> guys. This is gonna be some bullshit. But also, this is a story that is pretty different than the mental health stories we have been covering so yeah, far. Yeah, we're this really month. we're really taking it down a different path this week. The first two that we covered were mostly paranoid schizophrenia, yeah, and bipolar disorder. Karen Carpenter is a whole different story. Right. Um, and it's an important one. Oh, I think because a super important. Because I think a lot of women do share the same issues that she had that oh, we yeah. will get into. And um, her story doesn't get told enough. It really, for it, real. I feel like it's one of those stories that everybody just kind of knows it, so they brush it off. But it's, it's actually yeah. a lot deeper than you think it is. I watched several documentaries this week yeah i and i read some interviews um it's hard for me to find time to get a book guys i'm sorry but i mean it kind of is but i definitely did like a lot of research as far as like interviews and documentaries go so i mean yeah it definitely was disappointing (laughs) it's but it should be i mean in the sense that what happens to her is very unfortunate and sad. Yeah, and it's it's a heavy story, but let's get into it. Yeah. All right. So, one of the most genuine and flawless voices to have graced the world of music, Karen Carpenter, as you know, you should know, was one half of the band The Carpenters. And while this story is mostly about her, much of her life, much of the life of her brother Richard, the other half of the band, 
it's going to be told in here as well. Mm -hmm. So it definitely affects her in parts. Because to fully understand her life, you do need to understand how her family fits into all of this. Yes. Yeah. Because as successful and beloved as she was, Karen was stricken with a problem that she would never be able to get away from. Through her whole life, she had no control over any of her own choices. But she found she had control over one big thing, her weight, and it would eventually be the end of her. Mm-hmm. Karen was born on March 2nd, 1950. Pisces! That explains things. Oh, doesn't it, though? Yeah. <laughs> she was the younger sibling to her brother Richard and daughter to Agnes and Harold. They lived that quintessential 50s leave-it-to-beaver suburban life in New Haven, Connecticut. Barf. Shout out to our friends in and around New Haven, <laughs> Connecticut. Let's see. Chris, Stacy, Pine of Comics. Hey, hey, guys. Hey, guys. What's up? <laughs> I know we left people out, but hi to you, yeah, too. We, there's a lot of you I can't there think of right now. There actually are a lot of you in, out in that area of Connecticut. Huh. <laughs> she did not have an immediate need to learn music, but her brother sure did. He began to take piano lessons at a pretty early age, like at like five-ish, four-ish, five-ish, maybe. I can't even imagine being that young and taking music lessons. Yeah, I was probably eight when I part- started piano, seven or eight when I started I that. can't even imagine that for the simple fact that like my family was fucking poor. Right. So like I wanted to play the clarinet in junior high band and I couldn't because my parents couldn't afford it. Which is like the fucking worst because school bands, like you should be able to rent for cheap or free. Yeah, they didn't do that until later. That's stupid. Like you could rent, I think, by the time I was like sophomore, junior. And yeah, by that honestly. time, by that time, I was deep into my commitment of being a goth kid. <laughs> so I have around 10th grade. Well, clarinet I got, didn't fit into that plan. Clarinet was not goth enough. I don't know. It is a black instrument, dark and evil. But it sounds so gorgeous. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Saxophone's better. It's no sexy sax. It is no sexy sax. Actually, I wanted to play ba- bass clarinet for a while because I thought that was a sexy instrument. It's mm. not, but I thought it was. <laughs> well, anyway, you you weren't wrong either because another reason why to think about a kid playing for that young, um, they don't want to practice. What five-year-old wants to practice piano? None of them. Well, Richard didn't. <laughs> so he ended up quitting for a little while. But a few years down the road, he discovered he had the ability to uh, the ability to play songs by ear. So he went right back to a teacher to really hone in those skills. And I really wish that I started playing an instrument that young because I can't even clap and sing at the same time. <laughs> I have zero sense of rhythm. Oh, I here's the thing: I have zero sense of rhythm, and I can't play and sing at the same time. Yeah, I, and I, I I've kind of throughout my life randomly played instruments, so sometimes it doesn't help. But it could have. It could have helped me a little bit. If I practice. At least like fucking singing lessons. Yeah, that's fair. Something. Yeah. (laughs) Something. Hate being poor. Fucking poor. You know who wasn't poor? Karen and Richard. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me about it, stud. (laughs) Okay. So they were very close siblings. Karen looked up to her big brother and wanted to be involved in whatever he was doing. Were they the only two? Yes. Okay. So a lot of times she would sit at the piano with him and they would sing songs together. But at the end of the day, she didn't take it as seriously as he did and still made time for other activities and social obligations. She actually had a lot of friends. She did some sports. She, you know, Richard tends to spend a lot of time inside practicing. I'm a Richard. 
I'm a Karen. Yeah. <laughs> we are the carpenters. Are. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Their dad, Harold, was offered a job in a suburb of L.A. in California. And with that, the family moved. Many people like to speculate that it was Agnes pulling the strings, trying to get Richard to a place where he would be more likely to get noticed. And yeah, maybe that was a bonus to make the decision easier, but their father really did get a job out there, and he was looking for California anyway because he fucking hated winter. And where did they live before? Connecticut. Oh, yeah. So they moved no, to California. Yeah. 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 I mean, that checks. This and, all checks. And this was what? The 60s? 50s. 50s, 60s? Early 60s, maybe? So LA was fucking hopping. LA was hopping. So I mean, that was the place to be. I think it's still hopping, but I'm I'm hopping away. I'm it's hopping as, for people other than us. Yes. And I'm fine with it. Yeah. Karen was unhappy about this move, though. And she, again, like I said, had a large group of friends and was very comfortable in her laid back white picket fence community. She was never the type to need the glitz and glamour of a place like California. She was super happy with just home oh, life. Oh, well, then obviously she wasn't pulling any strings here. No, Karen. Oh, Karen. Okay, sorry. Karen! Karen! <laughs> if I could show people the face you made. Karen! Karen. <laughs> Things would not be as chill in L.A., but as will become a pattern in her life, what she wanted usually took a backseat to what was going to be best for Richard. I see a pattern starting. Oh, yeah, you will. It was in high school where Karen found her true talent for music. The way their classes worked, and I, I had a similar thing in high school, if you played in the marching band, you didn't have to take gym class. So what? girls, that, Yeah, right? That, that, right? Nope, that doesn't work. No, that's, that's not how this makes, works. That totally is how that works, because I would have... I was in marching band anyway. I would have been like, yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, I guess my experience is different, just because my school was so small, we barely had a marching band. Aww. So you needed to take gym. No, you didn't. Oh, you in did. my school, yeah. you had to take gym. You had no choice. Well, in Karen's situation, she took advantage of that, of that loophole because fuck gym class. No, serious. Fuck, fuck, fuck gym, gym class. class. It Except was for badminton. fucking horrible. No, I sprained my ankle walking to a badminton court. You didn't even play. I didn't even play. I mean, I would, I would give badminton another cha- a shot then. Oh, I love badminton okay. still, but like not in gym class. I sprained my ankle. <laughs> too, too intense. <laughs> too intense, <laughs> So the band teacher initially gave her the glockenspiel because, you know, she's a girl. Yeah. So there's that. She can't have the drums. But she really didn't care for it. She had a good friend named Frankie Chavez who drummed and idolized Buddy Rich. He really inspired her to not give up on percussion, but instead give drums a try. She took to it immediately and didn't look back. Her favorite drummers were Joe Morello and Ringo Starr. Aww. Because she knew what was up. <laughs> Ringo's the best Beatle. Fight me. <laughs> so she wanted to use the same drum kit as them. So Frankie helped her family acquire one for $300, and within the year, she was teaching herself complicated lines and complex time signatures. Most people, when they think of the Carpenters, they just visualize Karen out front singing and Richard next to her playing on the piano. Many don't even realize she was an incredibly talented drummer. Even by today's standards, a female drummer is rare. Yeah. But back then, it was virtually unthinkable. Yeah. Because, girl, I mean, where's she going to put her dress? 
But you know what? She did wear a dress when she she played drums. And guess what? You can do it. I know. It's amazing. It's totally doable. The girl was really fucking talented, though. You need to go watch some YouTube videos. Like, we'll wait. Did you watch some YouTube videos? Yeah. She's a really good drummer. She doesn't fuck around. But at the very least, Karen's family did not overlook this skill of hers. Richard was so excited that she found her knack for music that he asked her to play drums in his band, the Richard Carpenter Trio. Oh, thanks, Dick. <laughs> I always forget. He's, he's, a, he's Dick. He's Dick. He's Dick. Yeah. In a world where she had spent her whole life trying to get her parents to notice her, Karen finally felt like she was doing something right. But of course, I'm sure in her mother's eyes, it was right because it was helping Richard further his career. Oh, always doing everything for Dick. Doing it for Dick. Everything you do, you do it for Dick. Everything I do, I (laughs) I do do it for Dick. Dick. I mean, it's just not wrong. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. I guess now I'm going to address the elephant in the room that I've been leading up to. Richard was the golden child. Agnes was always pushing for decisions to get him into the music business. And meanwhile, Karen could never seem to get that kind of attention. So, like, was Dick aware of this? I'm going to call him Dick from now on. (laughs) Was Dick aware? (laughs) Dick aware. Was Dick aware of how much his parents favored him? Now, Harold, I'm going to say... I think was enthusiastic about what Richard was doing, but I think he might have been a little bit more nurturing towards Karen. But the whole thing is he's like, again, stereotypical 50s, nuclear family. He's working all the time. Right. Agnes was the one really doing stuff with the kids. Right. So it's easier to notice that she's doing that with Richard. Yeah. I'm, I think he, as he got older, there's no way you couldn't, Right. You couldn't see that. But I'm sure as a kid, he just was like, I'm just doing my thing. and I'm just I'm just a white man in the 60s, and I'm having a great time, I because mean, I can. Probably. Yeah. I, he, this is not a political podcast. He does <laughs> seem a little oblivious when you watch him in interviews. I don't... I'm not trying to malign him, but he definitely... I think later, who, way later in his life, he started to realize, oh... I don't know. I could have handled this better, maybe? I actually don't think he does. No? Yeah. Right. And like, well, at least every, in... everything I know about Dick Carpenter <laughs> is wrong. You don't know Dick. I don't know Dick at all. <laughs> <laughs> but he, in like interviews in the 90s, at least, and maybe the early 2000s, he seems very like, no, we were a great family and everything was great and loving. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. But that's that's further down the road. Yeah. So what I mentioned earlier about Karen having no control, well, her mother and brother would move her along the chessboard of their music career for the majority of her life. Whether or not she was super keen on it, she kind of felt like she had to listen to what they wanted. They had her under their thumbs. Right. At least Richard and Karen were a well-suited pair. The Carpenter Trio won the Hollywood Bowl Battle of the Bands in 1966 and recorded three singles with RCA Records, and that was the prize for it. This reminds me of that thing you do, by the way, which you still Still haven't haven't seen. seen. God, that joke is lost. I'm sorry. (laughs) Nothing really went on with the singles that they made, but they were just still proud that they managed that much. I mean, they're still really young at this point. Karen's Mm -hmm. still in high school. Yeah. The trio was not to last, though. In addition to the siblings, they were joined by friend Wes Jacobs on tuba. 
tuba, and he was a very talented tuba player. But like, how, wait, how can you be a talented tuba player? No, he's really good. They interview him, and he plays. And like, that's good did, tuba playing. Did he like do some jazz tuba? No, he just followed fat men around and <laughs> get away from me. I'm just I'm... trying to live my life. <laughs> That's if you can do that with a tuba, that's all I want out of my tuba players. I have a glandular problem. I have a bad thyroid. Leave me alone. <laughs> but I mean, like, obviously there's not really a market for like tuba bands in the sixties. I mean Yeah. Yeah. I'm just picturing this guy playing a tuba and just getting really fucking down with it <laughs> and i am all about it oh my god i really would somebody needs to do a jazz tuba yeah i need i need a new tube like you know what bring back the tuba bring some i want death metal tuba death metal tuba good band name <laughs> i mean you write have it down. to have a tuba write it down <laughs> don't steal it from us tm tm <laughs> tm 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 <laughs> so when they broke apart, they ended up joining a larger group called Spectrum. Uh, and that was more just like six people harmonizing and similar to the Carpenters, but a bit softer and jazzier. It didn't really do anything to move the masses, though, because psychedelic rock was now becoming the big thing. Mm. When Karen went to college, she became a member of the choir, and it was her teacher that noticed how unique her voice was and actually gave her lessons to enrich her three-octave alto sound. She had a very beautiful voice. Oh, God. Dionne Warwick and her were good friends. <gasps> right? That would have been a magnificent album. Right? That Dionne should Warwick have been made. Karen Carpenter, Girls Night Out. But Dionne Warwick says uh, of Karen Carpenter's voice that it was like silk. It and really like, was. It really was, though. That is the perfect description. Like the fabric and the delicious soy drink. I don't like the soy milk. Well, have you had silk? I think so. It doesn't even taste like soy milk. It tastes like delicious chocolate milk. It is delightful. It's chalky. It's not, though. It's chalky. It's not. Well, regular soy milk is, not silk. (laughs) We can debate this all fucking day. We could, though. Let's go out, buy a bottle of silk. We'll be back, guys. chug it. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Don't chug soy milk. It's disgusting. See? It is gross. No, regular soy milk is totally gross, but not silk. I mean, of course, Karen had sung along to records in the past and obviously on the harmonies written by Richard. But at this point, they couldn't really ignore this other true talent she had in addition to the drums. So with that, Karen began singing more and more in their songs. The duo would make tapes and send them out to record companies to unenthusiastic responses. But they did manage to land a spot on the TV show, Your All-American College Show, where they performed Dancing in the Streets. But it's, oh. it's way better than when oh. Mick Jagger and David Bowie did no, it. No, the okay, stop right here. Go YouTube Dancing <laughs> in the Streets with no music. It's so fucking brilliant. And then fucking die and then come back to life and then continue listening to this. But I will say also, if you want a good example of Karen playing the drums and singing, look up this performance because yeah. she's doing a baller ass job. She sounds great. She looks great. She's playing great. It's great. I'm always amazed Bigly. by by musicians that can play drums and sing at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I can't even play drums, so yep. 
here for it. I can't even sing. So. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> the positive reaction they received from this reinvigorated them to just keep pushing their way into the music industry. And luck would finally turn their way when a tape ended up in the hands of Herb Albert, who had co-founded the label A&M Records. He was the A in A&M Records. Oh, good for him. He sat back to soak in the demo and was quite moved by Karen's voice and Richard's arrangements. So he wasted no time bringing them in right away and had them sign a contract in 1969. Richard was 22 and Karen was only 19. Wow. Yeah, they young. Yeah, they were really young. They little babes. And I mean, I should give Richard some credit. Like, yes, Karen's voice is beautiful, but Richard is an amazing arranger. He mm-hmm. does. He knows how to write a good song and make it sound real pretty. Yeah. They released their first album called Offering. Richard wrote 10 out of the 13 songs and Karen sang out five of them. At the time, her main thing was still playing the drums, though. They covered the Beatles song Ticket to Ride, but made it a ballad and it would be their first single. Huh. Yeah, it's. It's an interesting take on Ticket to Ride because it makes it really sad. Yeah. I kind of feel like everything the Carpenters did was sad and pretty. Which is better than James Taylor, which always sounds sad and makes me want to put my head in an oven. Yeah. Fuck James Taylor. Sylvia Plath, that shit. Fight me. (laughs) (laughs) It only charted at 54, so A&M knew that they would have to step it up a little bit to get these kids noticed. Now, I mentioned before, it's the late 60s, early 70s, where sex, drugs, and rock and roll reigned supreme. To see this square-as-fuck brother-sister duo <laughs> really wasn't impressing the masses. Like, I mean, they were kind of so square. square. They were delightful, but they were square. Oh, yeah. Like, they were like Midwest milk toast oh, square. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. They could have done something to change their image, but they were too genuine to pull off anything other than wholesome kids. Because that's no, they were. what they were. Yeah. And I mean, to their credit, too, they didn't want to change what they looked like. And they shouldn't have to. Right. They wanted to be just appreciated on their talents. Which, right. Wow. What's that? What's that huh? like? So, I mean, good for them for sticking to their guns. Obviously, the only other option was to catch the ears of listeners with something truly captivating. And with that, enter my favorite name ever, Burt Bacharach. This guy. Best fucking name ever, <laughs> Burt Bacharach. I personally like Engelbert Humperdinck, um, but Burt Bacharach is still pretty good. I like the alliteration for Burt Bacharach. Yeah. Back in 63, he co-wrote a song with Hal David for Dionne Warwick. On the insistence of Herb Alpert, he provided Richard Carpenter with a song to be rearranged for their purposes. Richard cleaned up the parts, slowed it down a bit, and put Karen on vocals. The song would become their first and probably biggest hit, They Long to Be Close to You, reaching number one on the charts. It was a really good song. It is a good song. If You, you know this song. I'm just yeah. having a hard time believing that someone's listening right now and they don't know who the Carpenters are. Oh, I'm sure they know this song, but they might not know that the Carpenters sang it. Well, the Carpenters sang it. There you go. Now you know. Now you fucking know. Schlub. Schlubs. <laughs> Maybe it was because it was 1970 and we were hitting the Vietnam times and needed something simple. Vietnam times. Them Vietnam <laughs> times. They were not a great time. <laughs> they weren't a great time for us. Back in the Vietnam times. I mean, really, Nam gets its own time it, in, it in does. the world. No, it really does. Oof. I mean, that's still fucking hitting us, guys. But I think it was probably the masses might have needed something simple Maybe they were just over heavy rock and roll. 
But whatever it was, Close to You shot the Carpenters to overnight success, and there was just no looking back for them. Mm -hmm. That song, boom, there you go. And then their follow-up hit, We've Only Just Begun, was featured on their sophomore album with Close to You. Oh, that's a really good song, too. Right? Yeah. They both became like the quintessential wedding songs for a while, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. To promote it, they, of course, went on an extensive tour that year. They also won the Grammys for both Best New Artist and Best Contemporary Vocal Performance by a duo or group. So, Jesus Christ, like, here you go, sophomore album. All right, you guys are the fucking big thing now. When they're, like, barely in their mid-20s. Yeah, Karen might have turned 20. Yeah. Richard was probably 23. Not even old enough to drink. Well, no, at that time she was old enough to drink. Yeah, I think so. I think that was... Never mind. But I don't think she did, because she's Karen fucking Carpenter. They didn't drink. (laughs) Square as fuck. Yeah. Lest us not forget, this is the 70s, where album tour, album tour, album tour was the name of the game. Like every six months. Every you put six out months. An album. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that they released their third album, just Carpenters, in 1971. 72 and 73 also saw releases. It wasn't until 1974 when they took a little bit of a break. And slowly they began to improve their methods of promotion and get comfortable with the way they were being marketed. Marketed, Ted? Marketed. 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 I That trips me up when I say edited it. I edited it. I edited it. Marketed it. Even if they came across as a couple of squares, they just embraced it. They were still a successful pop band, and I'm sure many would have considered them a guilty pleasure at this time. I mean, there was plenty of market for a square band. Yeah, I mean, adult contemporary for sure. Yes, absolutely. But I mean, you know, metal's coming in and, you know, all this hard rock. And like, I could just see like a Zep fan, like, hiding a Carpenter's yeah, record, like, like, in a in a Black Sabbath vinyl Yeah, cover. this was like first wave uh, British metal. So Black Sabbath and yeah. I could just Zeppelin see, like, a big and... fucking metalhead, though, like, hiding their love for the Carpenters. And he's like, <laughs> man, like, Karen Carpenter's just really sweet. Look how wholesome this bitch is. It's like metalheads would hide their Carpenters albums inside Led Zeppelin albums. Yeah. And then Squares would hide their Led Zeppelin albums inside of Carpenters albums. And then they would, like, put but, Jesus all but, over it just to make sure Satan didn't come get them. the twain shall meet. Ne'er. Ne'er the twain ne'er. shall meet. Despite this amazing amount of success, Richard and Karen were still true to their clean all-American image. They still lived at home with their parents. Agnes kept a pretty tight leash on her kids and even managed their finances. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Is this going to be one of the first episodes in a very long time where we don't have to yell about heroin. I mean, we haven't had to yell about heroin, heroin, heroin in a couple weeks. Yeah, this but is. But we've had to we've we've had to yell about some other drugs, right? But I'm gonna say, um, no drugs, not really. Wow, not not like illegal drugs. Okay. The siblings would not move out of the house until the mid '70s, and when they did, they actually moved in with each other. That's weird. It is weird. You're too close. Don't. You're too close to each other. <laughs> it was. Hey, a, they long to be ooh, close well, to each other. Well, ooh. a lot of people thought that. Ooh. That was a big old running joke that people made at the carpenter's expense. Oh. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm sure I, absolutely nothing was going on. Oh, I d- no, no, not at all. This was this as is you not learned, Cersei and Jamie people. No, this is not a Lannister love for sure. Topical. It was current an, events. <laughs> current events. The Lannisters. <laughs> I guess. Sure. It was an interesting dynamic that caused many to insinuate that perhaps there was incest to be had between the duo. And this was definitely ridiculous, though. A much more sensible explanation would be that the fight for control was real in this family. Agnes had both Richard and Karen groomed to keep tabs on the other in her absence. Oh. Oh, yeah. Agnes was that kind of mom. she's a manipulative bitch. Oh, yeah. Agnes was manipulative AF. Hmm. It was... er, mm, er, Don't mm. care for you, Agnes. Yeah. I'm not in love with Karen's mom. Nah. Yeah. Richard began to date Karen's hairdresser, Maria. And yeah, that wasn't cool. Karen would be passive-aggressively cold to her and would invite herself on their dates because she didn't think it was good for her brother to be dating Maria. Oh. Yeah. You know who else didn't like them dating? That's right. Agnes. Agnes. You know what? Fuck Agnes. Because in a world where Karen's fighting for her mother's approval, this is her chance to do something that she might finally get praise for. Ah. So if Agnes doesn't like her, then Karen's not going to like her. And she's like, you know, mom says she's really bad, Richard. Dick. But she was your fucking friend to begin with. Well, her hairdresser. I mean, I'm sure they were friends, though, because... Yeah. I mean, mean, Karen was a lovely woman to get along with, And your hairdresser, if that's someone you use all the time, she goes everywhere with you. Yeah. Yeah. It was... I mean, granted, these are stories from, like, Maria's point of view, but she was like, you know, Karen became cold and distant to me when I was dating her brother, and... I mean, this makes sense. It checks out. Yeah. Because, again... We should have known this was gonna be some bullshit. So I think it's hard for Karen to, A, accept that her brother's dating, especially if Mm -hmm. she's not really dating. I mean, I think she had gone on a couple dates. I think she dated one of the Osmonds. Oh, bless her heart. But I guess it didn't last because their schedules were too crazy. Is that it? (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah. So... It's the schedule that was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, this didn't work in getting Karen any love from her mother, but it did work in getting Richard to break things off with Maria. And while, yeah, that wasn't cool for the women in his life to control who he dated, don't think Richard didn't have Karen doing, you know, the shit he wanted her to do in his own ways. I'm sure he was doing the same shit to her. Well, not with dating. He actually did not control her as far as dating went. They both, uh, in, a, in when they were interviewing Maria in one of the documentaries, she made a point to say, we never went with Karen on her dates, but she certainly followed us on ours. Yeah. So I'll give Richard that. Like, he let her have, I think probably because he wanted his own dating life. But I think there is a different kind of dynamic here because clearly Karen was doing this to get acceptance from her mom. Right. I mean, that's how but I Richard, interpreted it anyway. But Richard already has it. So he right. doesn't feel the need to have to do things like that. Right. And I'm sure, like, he's like, if I don't harass her, maybe she won't harass me. Nope, you're going to... Oh, okay, nope, you're still going to do it. All right, never mind then. I I guess this is three people on a date. Cool. Cool. Thanks, Care. You'll see as time goes on, he becomes... Richard becomes very controlling on exactly what Karen is allowed to sing about. He never wanted her to seem too sensual or sing something that would shake that conservative girl-next-door image. Oh, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, is is your 20-something-year-old sister not allowed to be slightly sexual? Even the song Superstar was almost cut when he felt a little uncomfortable with her sister singing of a groupie falling oh, in love with a rock star. Do you feel uncomfortable with what your sister is singing about? Right? Excuse me, dick. Yeah, excuse me, dick. Excuse me, dick. Dick. Excuse me. Another thing he really pushed Karen into was to ditch the drums. Now, to give him some credit, others like their management was saying the same thing. But management is garbage, too. Yeah, the management, the producers, everybody is all a bunch of dudes. Yeah, everybody's a bunch... Everybody's a bunch of dudes here. Everybody's a bunch of dudes with power. Right. So in fucking ugly suits and whatever. Well, for mar- and I mean, like, for marketing purposes, I guess you could make the argument for it. They felt she had a beautiful voice, and critics were complaining that their live shows really had no focus, because you had the singer behind the drums, but everybody wants to see her. So they began to push her up front, despite her objections of being up front and center. Mm-hmm. Karen was a shy tomboy who was grateful to be able to hide behind her drums, And while she loved being in the Carpenters and making music with her brother, she wasn't fully comfortable putting herself out there. Because as you know, when you put yourself into the public eye, you better get ready for some hefty scrutiny. Yeah, you open yourself up to scrutiny, which is bullshit, but also it it does come with the territory. I mean, Karen definitely was a very smart businesswoman. She understood why they wanted her up front. Mm -hmm. She understood how to make smart business decisions. She also understood how the music industry worked Mm -hmm. and how entertainment works. She was always a little concerned about her weight. And she would do like a lot of those wacky 60s diets. And she'd still manage to lose weight, but like look really healthy. But let's not forget that Karen Carpenter was never anywhere even approaching overweight. Ever. No, she wasn't. Ever. But. And this is how fucked up this is. Spoilers. Not everyone thought that. Right. Because it's bullshit. <laughs> Just in case you don't know. Yeah. This is going to be some bullshit. Oh, it's going to be a lot of bullshit. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the bullshit. Here you go. I'm waiting for the fan. Here you go. To come on. Here you go. Oh, oh. <laughs> Just turn it on for you. Thanks. High speed. One click. <laughs> that sounds like a vibrator, not a fan. <laughs> High speed. One click. <laughs> been one of those weekends guys <laughs> high speed vibrator weekend also a great band name also a great band name we're just pumping them out today yeah we are first album pumping them out today <laughs> oh my god all right here we go eventually critics began to call her chubby or said that she was cherub looking what? Which I think in the 60s and 70s is like the nice way of saying you fat girl. That's, oh, that's so aggravating. Even their own PR people suggested she lose some weight because the camera adds some pounds to you. And it crushed her. Do you know that um, gif that's just like terrorized Elmo with a background <laughs> of fire? That's me. It is though. That is literally what she looks like right now. (laughs) Reaching so hard. I am Fire Elmo. You are definitely Fire Elmo. A woman who already like had some issues with her weight and then gets told you are kind of fat though. Who also has acceptance issues. Thanks mom. Yeah. Yeah. This is a 
cocktail of bullshit. Oh, yeah. This is a bullshit cocktail if we ever had one. Karen's life was not only overflowing with the pressures of stardom, but it was completely in the hands of other people. Her mom, her brother, fucking the record label. Everyone controlled all of her actions. Everybody else telling her what to do. But finally, here she had something that she did have total control over. Her weight. Her weight. Which is basically the same exact reason why everybody who has anorexia, bulimia, anything like that, has it. It's It's the one thing they feel like they can control. It's definitely a factor. Yeah. And so the diets became more extreme in that she slowly stopped eating much of anything at all ever. So I don't know if that's a diet. She just started starving herself. Yeah, that's not even a diet anymore. Yeah. I think it's... I mean, and that's how a lot of that stuff starts is an extreme diet. And then you're like, ooh, but like I could lose more if I cut it here and I cut this and I cut... Oh, you know, I just don't need to eat. With their busy schedule, it was easy for her to get away with such extreme weight loss and she could just blame it on being really tired from their really stressful tour. Or if you're so busy doing other things, like... People don't realize so much that you're not sitting down and eating. Yeah, nobody is noticing, like, wait, when was the last time Karen just sat down and had, like, a sandwich? Right. Oh, I don't know. She, maybe an hour ago. Oh, she probably did it before when she was at this other thing. And, right. Or we on the way here. Yeah. Whatever. And she could easily lie and say, oh, I ate, like, an hour ago. Mm-hmm. I'm really not hungry. Yep. However, as she dipped under 100 pounds, people began to notice that there was clearly some kind of problem here. But seeing as how it was only the 70s, no one really knew to point their fingers at an eating disorder. Yeah. On the other side of things, the the stressful life of being a carpenter was also taking its toll on Richard in a way that was also hidden to the world. Having to handle the music of the band and touring extensively made it difficult for him to sleep at night. So he began to take quaaludes just to get some shut-eye. Oh, at first, it's always just to get some shut eye. He liked the way they made him feel and they calmed him down. And so he took more and more and more as time went on. Oh, no. I'm not sure how accurate it is. Some say that his mother just started giving him quaaludes because she had them. And she's like, oh, this will help you sleep. And then doctors started to prescribe them to him. Mm hmm. And I will say, I think unlike a lot of other artists, I think Richard fell into the addiction and didn't even fucking realize he was addicted until it was quite down the road. Yeah. By 1975, the Carpenters were at the height of fame. And as you can imagine, with the problems they were dealing with, the showing of the cracks was inevitable. More and more shows were getting canceled as a result of these siblings' issues. They were touring with Neil Sedaka as their opener. And as the reviews were coming out, it was discovered that he was becoming a more favorable favorable act over the Carpenters. Richard was particularly displeased by this and decided to fire Neil from the tour. Also a great name, Neil Sadaka. It's okay. I like it. But it really shouldn't have surprised him. With his quaalude abuse getting out of control, Richard was taking several dozen a day. What? Yeah. His memory was suffering as a result. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, I think he said he took like 60 or 80 at a certain point. A what? Right. Oh, my God. That's addiction. Dun, dun. How, how do you... Where do you get them? How do you get that many? Because when you're a star, you can get whatever the fuck you want. I guess. Unless you're giant cash, and then you just like, gotta go over the border. <laughs> Oof. Yikes. And of course, Karen's health was quickly deteriorating. Her heart was weakening, and at one point she collapsed and was sent to the hospital. 
The doctors demanded that she rest, and as a result, they had to cancel the UK and Japan legs of one of their tours. They decidedly went back into the studio and made their seventh album, A Kind of Hush, which was released in 76. Later that year, they debuted The Carpenters' very first television special in December. And it was there that Karen really began to find a bit more of a comfort zone in performing. Doing a type of variety show gave her a chance to experiment with other facets of performance instead of just standing in the middle of a stage singing to people. Yeah, I remember seeing clips from this. Yeah, she she really hammed it up. She seemed to like it. She really did. She really enjoyed getting out there. It really wasn't Richard's thing. It was really more Karen's. But it did also give Richard a chance to shine a little bit, too, because and I'll give him this. He didn't get a lot of credit for all the work he did in The Carpenters because everybody saw Karen. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, he really he really was a driving force in that, for sure. And so Karen thought this would be a great chance, too, to be like, you know what, let Richard have a couple songs or whatnot mm-hmm. here and let him be able to do this and then I can come out. And it, it, it worked out really nicely for the pair. Yeah. And I think it kind of endeared them more to people. Things continued business as usual on the surface, but by 1978, Richard could no longer sustain himself with this addiction. He became so forgetful, that, and they had canceled so many performances, it was just time for him to face up to what was going on and get help. So on December 3rd, 1987, the Carpenters played at the Long Beach Convention Center, and this would be the last time Richard and Karen would do a live show together. The next month, Richard would check himself into a facility in Topeka, Kansas, and finally get himself clean. So how long had he been with this addiction? So since the At 70s? Least four, yeah, early 70s. Like four or five years. Like as they started to get bigger, the addiction grew. At one point, he finally confronted Karen about her problem, telling her that he believed she had this newer disease. <laughs> newer disease? Isn't that some shit? In the late 70s, it was a newer disease? But it even wasn't. It was put in the DSM in the 1800s. Yeah. Should have been. It was. He believed that she had the disease called anorexia nervosa and she needed to treat it. She said she had no idea what he was talking about. She just had colitis and needed to rest. That's all. Really? Colitis? Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe you have colitis, but it was because of your anorexia. I don't know if anorexia can cause... Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I mean, anorexia can cause a ridiculous number of things. I'm pretty sure it can cause ulcers. Probably. Which is very similar to ulcerative colitis. There you so, go. There you, you go. go. But whenever anyone would interview her, or confront her, or talk to her about it, she'd just say, oh, no, I'm just really tired. I'm doing so much right now. I'm just really pooped. Really pooped out. I'm sure you are, but it's not because you're, you know. It's because you're not getting any because energy your... in your fucking body. Yeah. Obviously, anorexia is not new, and it wasn't back then. But people did not talk about it. They ignored it. And whether that was because we didn't fully understand it or maybe even because we wondered how weight loss could be a bad thing. I'm pretty sure it's a combination of both. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. And also especially because you always need to be losing weight. Body positivity wouldn't really be a thing until like now. Now? (laughs) Like last year? (laughs) We still got like 40 years. So sorry, guys. And you still had, you know, everybody's mother telling you constantly that you had to lose weight. Yep. How many of... Honey, don't eat that cake. You're never going to land a husband with big yeah, hips. Yeah. Like, how many of our grandmothers told our mothers that they shouldn't be eating that because they'll get fat? You want to get a man, you got to know how to look. Yeah. And if you want to keep a man, you got to know how to cook. Right. That was Lizzo. Which, which is... 
It's fucking ridiculous. Isn't that so... It's so contradictory. Right. Like, you need to know how to cook real good food, but don't fucking eat any of it. I hope you like cigarettes for dinner, because that's what you're eating. Cigarettes and coffee, that's all you're getting. Well, people with anorexia not only tend to have body dysmorphia, but can also feel like their life is out of control, and they need to find one aspect that they can take hold of. And watching what you eat becomes obsessive. And being able to handle the challenges that can arise from it can actually bring a certain amount of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, man, I almost got caught, but then I managed to hide it with this. Or like, oh, I found a new way to like prove to people to think that I'm eating, but I'm not. It's It's a weird like serial killer kind of thing. Like the serial killers do the same thing. They get a thrill out of compulsive disorder. Yeah, it's like getting a thrill out of almost being caught. I mean, like they are not inclusive of each other, OCD and anorexia, but they can be related. Yeah, for sure. You know, you really get obsessive about what you're eating, and I mean, I think we've all been there. I've done a ton of crash diets, and I've been able to fucking convince myself, oh my god, I I fucking drank a chocolate milk. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm going to gain so much. Like, that's going to make me gain so much weight. And then you got to DJ Tanner that shit at the gym. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Even women and men, both women and men, can suffer from this body dysmorphia. And then this thought process turns into, oh, my God, like, I let myself have a cookie. Oh, God, I'm such a fat piece of shit. Yeah. And it's berating yourself for... Being a normal human being. Exactly. It's not like I'm living 600 pound life here. Yeah. And I'm not trying to shame anybody, but also too, like, there is like, you can't eat a whole box of Twinkies. You just can't do it. You shouldn't. It's not advisable. I mean, you can if you want to, but it's probably not a good idea. Live your life, but at the same time, I'm not going to judge you. Also, if you want to do that every once in a while, don't fucking beat yourself up for it. Yeah. Just like you have to accept that you did it and then walk away. I mean, sometimes I eat. Half a fucking box of Oreos. Right. It happens. It's fine. I eat half a pizza. I really regret it afterwards, but like, yeah. yeah. I regret it, and I'm like, you probably shouldn't do that again. Yeah. But inevitably, I do. I'm a liar. I ate a whole pizza once. It was not It was not a great time. I'm certainly guilty of the same thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean. But it was delicious. Credit to, <laughs> credit to when I did Weight Watchers. They were very like, you know what? Yeah, you're going to fuck up. Let yourself fuck up. Don't beat yourself. Like, the worst thing you can do. You're not going to be perfect. The worst thing you can do. And it's not even a fuck up. That was the thing, too. They're like, yeah, some days you're just going to binge. Maybe you're just going to have a day. Let yourself have it. Don't feel guilty about it. Yeah. And just, tomorrow's another day. Wake up and, you know, just do a little better. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, I don't know. So while Richard was in rehab, Karen's life was at a bit of a standstill. Then producers at A&M began to encourage that maybe after spending so many years under her brother's influence that she go out and do her own thing. And with that, she hooked up with producer Phil Ramone in New York City to create her own solo record. He told Karen that it was time for her to grow with her fans and try a more mature sound. Before starting the recording, she contacted Richard to get his blessing. Because, you know, you need it, I guess. I guess? He gave it to her with the caveat of no disco. Just no disco, Karen. Why? She can do whatever the fuck she wants. And she did disco. Good. I mean, not on the entire thing, just two songs. Yeah. But that was what was hot at the time. 
And overall for this album, Phil had her shedding her sweet girl-next-door image for a more sultry, grown-ass woman motif. Because she's a grown-ass woman. Right? I mean, that's not even to say that she was doing anything scandalous. She was just mildly insinuating that she knows what sex is and may have had it. (laughs) Cue the pearl clutching. How dare ye? My God. Like, you should hear the fucking problems people had. Like... How she was insinuating that, like, oh, man, I really like you. Maybe we can go home and make love or something. (laughs) It's like, those are the insinuations in the songs. And it's like, guys. It's not even explicit. It's not even remotely explicit. It's like, maybe we sit in your car neck for a while. That's like it. You know, it was nothing fucking crazy. To listen to these guys fucking talk about it is the most eye-roll-inducing thing in my life. It they spent so sad. <laughs> it's so pathetic. So, it's really pathetic. They spent months collaborating on this record, as well as a lot of Karen's own money. About $400,000. Oh, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. For what year is this? 1980? 80-ish. 79, 80. Yeah, that's a lot of fucking money. It is, but she believed in this project, and she worked hard on it. And it was not only a project that she believed in, she also truly enjoyed making it. It was nice for her to get out and try something new. And yes, she was still in the throes of an eating disorder, but finally she was also given a say in the music she performed. So comes the day when they present the album to the powers that be. Owners Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss... And, of course, Brother Richard were present for the listen-through. Can you imagine going into that room and having those those three dudes just sitting at desk? Like, okay, let me and listen to it. here's the thing. Your brother's there. These two producers, owners that, like, have encouraged you. This is, like, the most... To me, this is the most heartbreaking story of Karen Carpenter's career, I think. Like, whenever I hear it, it fucking breaks my heart for her. You're walking in and you're like, these are three dudes... That encouraged me and believed in me. They're going to love this. Mm-hmm. Phil and I did an amazing job. We put in so much. This is going to so be great. So much time and money time and Time and money and heart and effort. Well, the final verdict? It was terrible and not to be released. Wah, wah, wah. The, people Fuck would talk about it later off. and say that the three were just silent. Arms crossed for every track. There wasn't a single, like, you know what, that's a good attempt, even. It was just, this isn't good, and you can't release this. I'm sure that they went into that meeting... Knowing that they were going to say no. that... Richard, I think... I've been trying really hard not to... He was going to hate it, no matter what. I've been trying really hard not to malign Richard through this, because I do think, like, he's just kind of an ignorant... And I don't mean ignorant even in in a negative way. I mean it in the truest sense of, like... He was oblivious. He didn't realize what was going on. Yeah. He didn't realize, like, we didn't know what we knew about what we know now. And I think that he thought that he was doing... I think he thought he knew what was best. Yes. So I'm not saying he's coming from a malicious, vindictive place. I think he was coming from a place of, I'm your big brother and I know what's best for you. Which is kind of how he grew up. Mm-hmm. That was what he was It was encouraged. Yes, it was 100% encouraged. Like, he was the older brother. He knew exactly what she should be doing and how she should do it and what the end product should be. Yeah. So if... And I'm sure all three of them went into that meeting thinking 
She's doing this on her own without our guidance, so now, it's probably not going to I be what we want. I think Herb and Jerry were a little bit more open-minded. Yeah. Because they were the ones who encouraged it, and I think they were the ones who hooked her up with Phil Ramone. Right. And he's, like, worked with Billy Joel and other really big pop acts, so they probably believed in whatever he was doing. And I, so I don't know. I mean, I wasn't in the room where it happened, so I don't know if they were following Richard's, like, mm-hmm. cross-armed, I don't like this, mm-hmm. or if they all just decided they just didn't like it because... Karen was being a grown-ass woman. Yeah. But they felt it was missing the chemistry that a Carpenter's album usually has. Probably because it wasn't a Carpenter's album. Because it wasn't supposed to be a Carpenter's album. And that they thought she was trying to be too sexy and it was disingenuous. And Richard was the harshest of them all. And even got Agnes involved. And they were both telling Taryn... Agnes. Agnes. And they were both telling Karen it wasn't going to see the light of day. And then at one point he tried to like accuse Phil of and Karen of like stealing the carpenter's sound and like turning it into like this stuff that isn't good and hmm. it was really weird. To hear them in interviews, her family and the owners of AM try to pass it off as they strongly suggested that it just wasn't up to snuff for her and like she totally agreed with that. She was like, you know, if you guys don't like it, then I won't release it. Yeah, you know what, you guys are right. This isn't that good. I could have done better. But others talk about how she was absolutely crushed by the lack of support and how even up to her final days, she loved that album. It just, it sounds like somebody who is easily pushed over by her family's opinions. Yeah, she's she was bullied into not liking her yeah. own work. Like, she was probably really super proud of this album the entire time, but then as soon as she presented it to her family and her family was like, this is garbage, she'd be like... Yeah, okay, it's garbage. I guess I won't release it. I mean, I can relate to Karen in some senses, where you come up with something and you think it's great, but you're also a very sensitive person Mm -hmm. who is very too well aware of other people's opinions and too much giving a shit about their opinions. too influenced by them. Yes. And so when they say something, you're like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're right, because you care more about their approval than the fucking work you just did on something. Right, and all of that time and money and the, just and your confi- down the drain. And your confidence isn't there. Yeah. And you know who actually loved the album? Quincy Jones. You know what? Come on. He was like, look, it needs to... He said it needed to be remixed, like, a little bit. Yeah. He's like, it needs some remixing. It needs a little love, but honestly, this is some good shit here, and this should get released. So why didn't he take it and release it? Contracts. Yeah. Bullshit. Bullshit. Red tape. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like she finally finds a healthy creative outlet, and then she's just knocked right down. Yeah. Like, completely told, like, you're not good enough. Nope, and you're basic- still not good enough. And basically bullied into not releasing something. Exactly. And now she's being pestered by her brother to work on the next Carpenter's album. So, like, don't even go back into the studio and try to do this again right. and try or to make it something. better. Just... Fucking abandon it because it's garbage, and you suck solo. Come do another Carpenter's album. You suck by yourself, and you don't know what you're doing. So come back to the studio with me and forget about that. Right, and like I can only imagine, like if she just got a fucking positive result from this, even if she released it and like the masses didn't like it, I think what is worse for her is that her family and friends didn't believe in her enough. Yeah. And the people closest to her that she wanted the approval of the most. Right. And that's the real fucking heartbreak of it. Because she could have, if it was just the two guys from the record label, she could have just been like, okay, well, fuck you. I'm going to 
keep doing it and trying to make it better so that you do like it. Right, but she didn't have that kind of. Yeah. And then, and then you know, it makes me wonder, too, if they were encouraging. I'm not saying this would have been a cure, but what could have that done for her, for her self-esteem? And maybe what could have maybe that done for her de- eating disorder? Right. You know? Like, choices, guys. Yeah. When you push someone around like that. Or, like... And even, all they want is your approval. Even, like, if they released her solo album, the people she could have met that could have encouraged her and helped her self-esteem and helped her get help. Right. And, I mean, clearly people did believe in it. Yeah. It was just the powers that be. So the solo album business really did create a rift between Richard and Karen. But, of course, when she's at her lowest, Karen finds love in a man named Thomas Burris. Now, she dated before, but nothing really ever seemed to work out. Mm-hmm. She had her flings here and there and just never came never to fruition. Stuck. But here she thought she had the real deal. So they got married after only six months of knowing each other. Oh, that's a good idea. That's not a good idea. <laughs> really sucks. Bad idea. Yeah, Bad time. Yeah, that's not a good idea at all. Nope. Karen always went with the flow of what her family asked of her. But honestly, what she truly always wanted was a family of her own. The husband, the kids, the house. But she was never really sure what happened for her. So I'm sure when she finds this guy. and When she found the first guy that stuck around for a little bit. It's like, ooh, we can have this. Mm. Now, this story is murky. And I'm not really sure where the truth lies. So I will make it as broad as possible. But apparently before the wedding... It was discovered that Thomas couldn't have children because he had a vasectomy and he refused to reverse it. He did have a full-grown kid at this point. Okay. Or, like, almost full-grown. Was he significantly older than her? I don't think he was... I think it was, like, 10 years, maybe. Oh. Huh. But, I mean, like, maybe, like, mistake kid? I don't know. Sorry, Thomas Burris's kid. You (laughs) might have been a mistake. Your dad did get a vasectomy. The mistake that made your dad cut his vast difference. (laughs) Yes. You made a vast difference in your dad's vast difference. Oh my god. And I'll see myself out. <laughs> Get the fuck out. <laughs> but some some would say that Karen wanted to make it work despite that. And others say that she wanted to call it off, but her mother wouldn't let her. And mm. I'm not really sure which way it went really was. Uh-huh. But either way. She married him in August, and they did attempt to hold it together, but the relationship obviously wasn't going to make it. Right. And they would be separated yet less than a year and a half later. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. Also, I should mention this guy was garbage. I'm, yeah. I he, mean, like, I, it, you could probably mm, predict, but uh, yeah. he basically married her for her money because he was in a fuck ton of debt. Oh, cool. Thanks, dude. Yeah, he was constantly taking money from her in attempts to make terrible investments. To make more money. Yeah. But by the end, Karen was in financial duress, and she basically only had stocks and bonds left. Oh, my God. Because he took so much of her fucking money. Girl. Girl. Like, in a year and a half, he did this. She needed to get a grip, friend. She really did. She really did, though. Because her family wasn't fucking doing it. No, they were not the get a grip, friend. No. At all. And at this point, she was so skinny. I mean... Lowest of lows, girl's just like, I'm just going to be a bone She at this but point. But again, that's the one thing she can control. Exactly. They had to actively try to bulk up her wardrobe 
because she would she wore some shoulder pads she had to yes and they looked bigger than they were because she was so tiny she would wear these shoulder pads she would wear jackets and like sometimes she tried to take the jacket off and like no you have to wear the jacket Mm -hmm. you can't not wear the jacket i don't think you understand that you really need to wear this jacket because people are asking questions and if you want them to stop you need to wear this jacket yeah they're still gonna ask questions yeah she was now taking laxatives to lose weight. Oh, my God. Yep. At the end of her rope, Karen finally decided that she needed help. And so she went to a therapist named Dr. Stephen Levenkron, who specialized in eating disorders. At one point, he had her family come in for a session. She was seeing this dude five days a week. And he's I, like, look, I'm not going to be able to... St-. Like, He's like, look, I know you're going to fall back. This is... But just be honest with me when you tell me. Yeah. Just tell me you didn't eat. You yeah. know, I just want to know. What's going on? So she brings her family in for a session and he asks her parents if they ever told her that they loved her, to which they responded, but they didn't have to tell her. She just knew it. And when he pressed Agnes to just tell Karen, you know, just tell it to her, just say it, because he thinks that her approval is a big catalyst for a lot of the problems in her life. Agnes just got really indignant about the whole thing. You know what? I don't like you, Agnes. No, Agnes can go fuck herself. I don't give a shit. Fuck Agnes. Yeah, honestly. So then, of course, Richard decides this guy's a quack and he's not doing anything oh, for his course. sister. Of course, Dick thinks he's a quack. <laughs> Congratulations, Dick. You're the smartest man in the room. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> Congratulations, Dick. You're the smartest man in the room. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm putting that in my back pocket. I'm saving that. Oh my god! I mean, Dick believed he needed to be. She needed to be put in like long term care, which maybe He's not wrong about. But that. at the same time, like encourage your fucking sister for getting help, but also encourage her for being at this therapist. Like this is the biggest first step you could possibly make, and she did it on her own. Yeah, fuck off, Dick. Jesus. <laughs> Doctor Levenkron managed to get Karen to gain about twenty pounds. That's fantastic. Because she started seeing him when she weighed about like 78, 79 pounds. Oh, how can you how can you be alive? I don't know. If she had lost she any nearly, more she nearly hit a hundred pounds with him. If if she had lost any more weight, her system would have started shutting down. Her system wasn't doing it, great. I'm sure it wasn't. No. Jesus Christ. So she was looking healthy again though, and everybody's like starting to take a sigh of relief, like, okay. Okay. Oh, this isn't going to last. Oh, this doesn't last. That didn't last. Of course not. Old habits die hard. And despite seeing him multiple times a week, he was at a loss to truly get her to stop this really terrible behavior. Mm -hmm. She would hang out with friends and once again go back to old habits of pushing food around her plate to make it look like she was eating. Mm -hmm. But she wasn't. Yep. And then she changed up some of her old methods of weight loss by adding in Ipecac and thyroid pills to help keep her weight down. So basically, you know how I take thyroid pills because my thyroid's broken and yeah. it kicks up my metabolism. I mean, it also makes my thyroid work, so I process things properly. But her thyroid was her thyroid already working. Was that like interesting well, enough? Yeah. No, it was. It was. Her thyroid was working just fine. But if you take fucking um, levothyroxine and you don't have a thyroid problem, ooh, you gonna lose weight. It's probably what diet pills would do for you it's if like, you started taking diet pills right like it's like i maintain a healthy weight um taking thyroid pills and having a decent diet mm-hmm. 
So if you are starving yourself and start taking thyroid pills. And your thyroid's fine. Yes. You're going to lose a lot of weight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you are. And then the Ipecac, which is technically poison. Yeah, you're just making yourself throw up. Yes. And was she still doing laxatives? Because holy shit. I believe she was. I mean, there's like, nobody knows exactly what her routine was. If my entire life was throwing up and shitting, (laughs) not worth it. Not worth it. Not worth it. That's why we don't have I will stay fat. And and she's not even fat when she's not doing these things. So like, shit, I will stay fat if it means I'm not shitting and vomiting everywhere. And that's just the thing, too, is when people talk about it, they're like, she was just so thin, it was terrifying. Yeah. They didn't want to hug like her because they were afraid they'd hurt her. Literally. Yeah. This put Karen's body in a bad place again, and she was admitted to the hospital where they fed her intravenously, and it worked to help her put weight back on again, but it was a bit of a fast gain, 30 pounds in eight weeks, which sounds not that fast, but it, for someone no. who's so deathly thin. That's only two months. It's, That's it's kind of crazy. Quick. It's pretty quick. Imagine lo- losing 30 pounds in two months. That's kind of a lot, too. It's called really unhealthy dieting. I've done it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have, too. So we, we it's, yes. it's not healthy. <laughs> why do you think my thyroid's broken? <laughs> Honestly, that's why my thyroid's broken. Um, but unknowingly to doctors, this put even more of a strain on her heart to make her gain weight so quickly. Yeah. But again, I mean, like anorexia, we knew about it, but we didn't know about it right so i'm sure they're thinking we need to make her gain gain as much weight as possible in as short amount of time exactly you know i can't fault anybody for just doing what they think was the right thing right after her time in the hospital karen went back to her parents home in california a lot of people weren't happy about this because they thought probably not the best idea yeah they thought it was like going back to an unhealthy environment leaving your therapist blah 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 right but she was determined to get back into making music with her brother and finalize her divorce at the beginning of February, she was making phone calls to people, getting ready to put plans in motion. She was calling up, you know, the, her lawyer. She's like, I'm going to come see you. She's calling up her brother. Like, yeah, let's do this. Let's get going. She's actually calling up Phil. And like, you know, I still fucking love our album. Mm-hmm. You know, she's talking to people. She's positive. Things are going well. And she is maintaining a healthier weight. On February 3rd, she went to dinner with her parents and, you know, ate some food. And everyone's like, all right, this is great. Karen seems to be turning a new leaf. All right. On the up and up. She's on the up and up. But the next morning, Agnes called to her daughter, letting her know that coffee was ready. When Karen didn't answer, Agnes went up to her room to find her lying on the floor unresponsive. Jeez. They called an ambulance for her. And they discovered that Karen did have a heartbeat, but it was only one every 10 seconds. That's nearly dead. Yeah. Medical professionals worked on her en route to the hospital, but not long after they arrived, there was nothing more they could do. Karen had passed away due to the complications that the anorexia brought onto her body, notably her heart. She was only 32 years old. Holy shit. And if you look at pictures of her, she's younger than us now. She's younger than us now. Fuck. But if you look at pictures of her, she looks so older because when you get too thin, you look very, you look older. Mm -hmm. Losing weight makes you look older. Yeah. Um, But also, I mean, she was tired. She was gaunt. Mm -hmm. She didn't look 32. No. I would have put her at like late 30s, early 40s. And she probably sped up 
the aging process from all the stuff she was doing to her body. So if she was 32, she probably had the body of 55 year old. Yeah. Maybe. Which isn't that bad, but also a 55 year old with a fuck ton of medical problems. Yeah. <laughs> the, with a bad heart. Yeah. The bad heart. Posthumously, Richard kept the Carpenters music alive and produced their seventh studio album, Voice of the Heart, the next year. And even down the road, Karen's solo album, simply titled Karen Carpenter, would finally see the light of day in 1996 because they took fucking... It's like 20 years later. Yeah. And they took... um, Oh, my God. The guy. What kind? Quincy, oh. Quincy took, Jones? They took Quincy Jones's <laughs> advice. And remixed it? And remixed it. Because Quincy Jones sometimes knows what the fuck he's talking about. I mean, he does. I gotta give him that. And I mean, like, it's it's not like anything amazing, but it's not even half as bad as the guys made her think it was. Yeah. No, I think they were, there was a lot it's, of bitterness in it's there. It's a valiant solo effort. Yeah. Definitely. And there have been an abundance of documentaries and movies made about Karen's story. One of which was done by fin- indie film director Todd Haynes called Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, and was done with Barbie dolls. What? Yes. That's Rich- kind of on point, though. Right? Yeah, that's really on It was on done point. in the 80s, and Richard, of course, totally nicks this. Dick wasn't having it. Which is kind of funny because there is currently a fairly new documentary on Hulu called Tiny Shoulders about the Barbie. And- yes. Um, trying to make Barbie more size inclusive. Right. And it made me angry. Well, because everybody that is on the Barbie board yeah. um, is it's a like, clueless white woman mm-hmm. who has no idea what inclusivity and diversity is. And lives off of like fasting shakes. Basically, they live off of like Starbucks and green juice. Cool. So, cool, cool, uh, cool. You know what women want. Yeah. So, Go watch that documentary and get you know, angry with you me. You know what it's like to be a woman of color, of size, of mm-hmm. age, of disability. Yeah, yeah you know yeah. what that's like. And uh, and we've all seen the inclusive Barbie dolls that have come out since that documentary, or actually in the last year, which is a which is a moderate effort at best. That's being generous. A, a mild effort like, at best. They widen Barbie's hips a little bit, and they call that the curvy Barbie, and. All of them were so fucking proud of themselves when that came out. So goddamn proud of themselves. And then they, um, at the end of the documentary, the people that were interviewing Roxanne Gay, who is um, a prominent feminist activist, um, who is is a commentator on the documentary, they handed her the quote-unquote Kirby Barbie. She burst out laughing. She's like, (laughs) she laughed her ass off. She's like, no, I'm, no, no. It's a valiant you effort. Need, you need to take this back. You need to <laughs> Val- take this back. I can't. Just, I can't I even. Can't. Valiant effort, but no, I can't. No. I can't. No. I'm like, I'm with you, girl. I, I hear you. <laughs> oh my God. Well, and if you want to watch this uh, film, you can find it on YouTube. Ooh. Um, it's really garbage quality because I think it's like, I mean, because bootleg. Richard Richard basically sued him. He couldn't really release it and it's kind of bootleggy, but it's just, it's, it's also kind just of fun. let him fucking do it. It's, it's kind of fun and interesting. It's, it's, it's an interesting take. Yeah. The death of Karen Carpenter not only hit people because of the deep loss felt by the masses, but because of the shock brought on by the cause. At this time, like I've said a bunch of times for this episode, anorexia just wasn't seen properly as the problem it is. Right. 
And now everyone saw just how very fucking dangerous it is. This was one of the first big um, celebrity anorexia cases. It was. And they see now it's like, this can kill you. Mm -hmm. This can kill you. Maybe losing a ton of weight isn't a great idea. And also, it is a legitimate mental illness. It is. Like, it's something that you need to see a therapist for, that you need support from your friends and family for. And I... I, And you need someone to notice before you're 78 pounds, by the way. Yeah. And I I don't think that it got, like, a legitimate uh, mental illness labeled to it until pretty recently the last like 15 years or so no no it's been in the dsm for very but, like long people time. didn't realize that it was a mental illness right until okay yeah more recently Probably like the 80s it was like it was just something that like you needed to f- like it was just a <sighs> diet thing somebody in one of the interviews and in one of the documentaries said like you know, at first they just thought Karen had the quote unquote, I think they called it like the skinny disease or something. Yeah. Like you're just really obsessed with being skinny. Yeah. They didn't look at it as like, it's anorexia nervosa. She could die. We need to fix this. Yeah. Nobody saw it that way. And also, we need to fucking stop with judging people on their bodies. Like no matter what, like whether they're too skinny or too fat or too this or too that. Ha, that rhymes. But seriously... <laughs> You know, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Like, maybe somebody's curvy. Who cares if they're healthy or not? Like, I just, I fucking can't. Yeah. I fucking can't anymore. And I'm so glad that there is this, like, body positivity movement. I I actually actively try really hard now not to, like, comment on people's weight. Because I don't like it because I feel like it's, like, your weight isn't who makes, isn't what makes you who you are. Yeah. And it's clearly caused so many problems for so many people and I mean, men have their own type of body dysmorphia. Oh, I'm not strong enough. I'm not muscly enough. I got a gut or I got this. Like, I need abs. And then women have this, well, I have a gut and I need to have a flat tummy and, like, I need to have a yoga body. And it's, I mean, even when it comes to having a plus-size body, you're still kind of told you need to have the right kind of plus-size oh, yeah. body. There's so many plus-size stores that I look at online and I'm like, I would love to wear any number of these things. However, all of these things are made for plus-size women who still have a flat tummy. Right. I don't have a flat tummy. I mean, I can't tell you the times it's like you look at, um, yeah, like a Torrid catalog or even the Sports Illustrated when they were like jerking themselves off. Like, look, it's a plus-size woman. It's like, girl is like, what, a 12? That's not plus-size. Yeah. I mean, her death was like just a wake up call for regular people. I mean, we still had decades and decades and we still do have time of these people who think they fucking know like what's healthy and what's this and what's that. But if I could if I could encourage people to read anything, it would be Health at Every Size. It's a great book and it really gets rid of a lot of the stigma attached to like trying to lose weight and having this perfect body and like just learning to what makes you feel good mm-hmm. physically. You know, you don't have to look a certain way as long as your counts are good and, like, you're comfortable in your own skin. That's what matters. Yeah. And I really think other people should shut their fucking mouths and I'm really fucking sick of people opening them. Yeah. Well, to bring it back to Karen Carpenter, I will give her family this. They did start the Karen A. Carpenter Memorial Foundation, which raised money for anorexia research and treatment. Nice. So, Well, at least they did something. Posthumously, at least they did something. Do you think Agnes can say she loves her now? Nope. I mean, I bet she does now, but 
You don't know what you got till it's gone, do you, Joni Mitchell? No. But Karen was more than her illness. Hearing goodbye to love is especially heartbreaking to hear now that I know her story. In my opinion, never has a more autobiographical performance been done than when you hear her listen to goodbye to love. Mm. It's just her being like, I'm never really going to have the love that I want. You know what? I'm just going to sit here and be sad. Oh my and God. you're like, ugh. That's heartbreaking. Ugh. Listen to it and go fucking cry. Have fun with that. Karen's melancholy but genuine voice rings with a pain that you can feel. And her fierce spirit is what will continue to live on through their music for as long as we have music going. Because that's the thing that I want everyone to take away is like, Karen Carpenter had a fucking uniquely beautiful voice that you never get. Um... You know, now you have all these fucking Ariana Grandes and these Katy Perrys and these Christina Aguilera's who, who, who just threw the... Who wants to pack as many notes into one word as humanly you will, possible. You will never hear that and shit I with Karen Carpenter, but it. her voice is so fucking gorgeous. If you have a voice that's that good... You don't need to do that shit. You don't need to do the flashy garbage. You don't. Just you sing, have a good voice. Just sing a very good song very well. You know what? You just need, you need to sing. To sing a song. Sing out loud. Sing out strong. Mm-hmm. Don't worry if it's not good enough for anyone else to hear. Remember when they, they, they did that with Sesame Street? Okay. That's just, that's the Carpenter's throwback there. I can barely remember what happened this weekend. I can't remember Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> they did they did that song sing with the Sesame Street. It was cute. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, you're right. She didn't have to fucking throw garbage in there. Her voice was just genuine and haunting and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that is something we rarely fucking find. And it's definitely something we never fucking celebrate anymore. Yeah. Karen Carpenter tugs at your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. Ariana Grande does not. Go your homework for this week. Go listen to some Carpenter's music, guys. It's actually really beautiful and it's timeless and it holds up. Her fucking voice is gorgeous. Richard's ama- arrangements are great. Mm-hmm. The Carpenters are a great band and they stand the test of time and I think they will continue to stand the yeah. test of time. My only wish is that um, her family could have been a little bit more clued in. Yeah. Throughout her entire life. But hopefully through a story like Karen's, more families and more people can be more clued in to like, just compassion and you can say I love you, it's fine. That is okay. It's okay to say I love you. You're not a fucking pansy if you say I love you to your children. There you go. (laughs) It might be beneficial. (laughs) There you go. To everybody. There's a takeaway from this, guys. You're not a fucking pansy if you tell your kids you love them. Also, listen to The Carpenters. And watch Karen Drum. It's really great. Get inspiration from her, because she's an inspiring lady. She is. Let her memory live on. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's it for Karen's story. So thank you all for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope it was enlightening. I hope you learned something that you didn't know. And I mean, if you're right and people don't know who The Carpenters are, you learned a lot. (laughs) You you should know them now. You know them now, don't you? Yeah, all right. So Don't you feel like a dick? Do, do you feel like a dick? No, Sometimes you feel like a dick. Sometimes, Sometimes you don't. don't. <laughs> so thank you all for listening. And if you have been liking and appreciating us, we would like and appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and maybe leave us a nice 
five star review and then say like, hey, these girls are great. I learned about the carpenters today. You sh- even if you hate us, you should at least tell us why. Yeah. But I mean, like, it helps us. It helps us podcast so much if you leave us a fucking review and a rating or whatever you need to do on iTunes. We really would appreciate it. And you know what? Another thing we'd appreciate, you should go check out Pantheon Podcasts. Yes. Go check out Pantheon Podcasts because that is the network we are on and it is full of so many rad podcasts to listen to. If you love music, you will love everything that they have to offer. Promise. And also, if you just want to keep up with what we got going on, you can visit our website at www.rockcandypodcast.com. You can comment on our episodes, toss us an email. Uh, at the bottom of the page, you can find all the links to our social medias. We post fun fucking pictures and videos. And we, we are say, delightful on social delightful. media. We say stupid shit on Twitter. It's good times. We will converse with all of you because why not? And next week is your week to bring in something interesting. So I'm excited. It's I don't be, know. Oh, it's going to be a downer. I know the end of the story, but I don't know the lead into the story. So I'm excited oh, about that. Oh, it's a fucking downer. Guys, it's not the funnest month, but no. it's an important month. It is very important. And um, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm warning you now. It's a downer. It's all right. I mean, I, I like with Game of Thrones, the final season, I've prepped myself to be just sad i'm not even gonna get into nope. game of thrones i'm not this is not it. a game I'm of thrones podcast i'm not getting into it because <laughs> i'm just gonna end up angry and everybody's gonna be angry at me so I'll, t- I'll press stop and we can rant we're again. done we're done we're done we'll see you kids next week and with that party <laughs> on ashley party on and party on you crazy kids out there balls out thank you